Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Don't be afraid to say you don't know, you don't understand, and don't be afraid to go and seek help. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You now listen to the Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed and FS goalkeeping B licensed coach with over 10 years' experience working youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies. I'm currently operating as an affiliate shooter for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. I'll be sitting down with coaches, coach educators and key figures in the game to have free-flowing conversations and discuss the challenges, lessons learned and effective trends in the coaching world today. Right guys, welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. I'm Coach Yas and today I'm joined by my co-host as usual. Ben. Uh, today we're joined by a very special guest today, uh, Mark McLaren. Mark is the lead uh, under-11s coach at Wolverhampton Wanderers. Welcome, Mark. How are you today, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Uh, an honour to join you this morning to have a, a nice little discussion. Um, yeah, I hope everyone's, everyone's good and I'm looking forward to it. Perfect. Mark, we're, gonna, you know, we're not going to waste any time. We'll get straight into it. You know, just want to go for the listeners and for ourselves. You know, just tell us a bit about where your coaching journey started. Um, it's always hard to like place exactly the moment, but I think that um, you know, growing up, uh, I always had a, I always knew going into like college uh, and university that I wanted to work with young people. Just had had a passion for it from from early. Um, so coming coming through college, kind of that's when I did my uh, FA level one, um, coming to the end of that kind of uh, my college course, and then um, got to university, which didn't kind of go as as originally planned I, I only lasted like my, my first year really studying wasn't for me but um so I came out and I actually went into the into the world of work but at this time I was still playing football so coaching wasn't really um on the forefront of my mind I was, I was still playing playing at a good kind of semi semi-pro-ish level um so it wasn't really on the forefront of my mind, but I started to get work, working in schools, working with young people. Uh, and that's kind of where it kind of kicked off. I was working as a, a teaching assistant and then a mentor. Uh, I got qualification as, a, as a, like a learning mentor. And then in one of the schools I was working in, um, one of the PE members of staff who knew I played uh, asked me if I wanted to, to take control of, of one of the teams. I think it was the year seven team at the time. Uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, ha- happy to do it, happy to get on the pitch and kind of didn't really have much experience at the time but kind of kind of just threw myself in and that's where I started to really get the passion for it and then I found that a lot of the young people that that I worked with in terms of learning, uh, I was able to connect with them even more so on the, on the sports field um, so that kind of um, kind of set me in, in that direction 
Um, I did that for a couple of, couple of years. I changed schools, did it again at a new school. Um, and then I decided, I think this is something I want to want to pursue uh, as, as a career, which we know is very, very difficult um, in the UK, especially as probably as, as a black coach, it's difficult, but it was something that, that I've really thought, okay, I think, I think I can do this. I wasn't playing then at this point. So yeah, I decided to, to give it a go and, and kind of, I guess we'll get into the rest of it, but yeah, kind of the rest is history after that point. And uh, just to report, like, how, like, what made you to make that transition? And were you still playing when you were coaching at that point? Yeah, so in, in the beginning, uh, I was still playing. When I was coaching in the schools, I was still playing. So I probably stopped playing um, probably around about 23, 24, um, which when I look back on it now is, is far too early. Far, far too early. I had a couple of years years, ago, but, it? Uh, Say again? Early two years ago, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I've done so much in the last two years. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, uh, but I guess I decided... I made that I made that transition because I just I wanted to stay in the game and like I say I always had this kind of passion to, to working with young people and, and helping young people develop. Mm. Um, I think originally if I go way back originally I wanted to be a PE teacher, but I think when I when I got a little bit older or speak about it, you know, it, it became less it became less attractive to me. Um, I felt like there was a lot of a lot of admin and I'm actually finding out there's still a lot of admin uh, involved in in um in football coaching yeah. in, in an academy system but you know yeah PE P teaching became became less attractive but then I kind of went full circle and kind of went off that path and then found myself found myself come back to it um yeah and then so it wasn't too much of a difficult transition because I was still working within the game and I was just kind of linking up, linking up passions, really linking up my passion for football, mm. also linking up my, 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 my passion for wanting to work with young people. So, And uh, just in regards to that, like, uh, so when you were just like finishing off playing, did you see like a difference in the way that you like saw the game like as a, co as a coach and as a player at that point there? Like, did you see that like, you know, once you, I know the level one and level two, like some may deem it basic, but like, it's, like I feel like it's like the brilliant basic sort of thing. So like, like looking a bit more about the way you're passing the ball, the way you're receiving and striking the ball and stuff like that. I think in the, in the beginning you find that um, it is, it is, it's not as easy as, you know, coaching is not an easy thing, man. Like, as you guys know, it's not, it's not just a case of I can do it, so therefore I can show you how to do it. You know, it's, it, you find over the years and as you develop as a coach, you know, finding those ways to connect with your players and, and, and really getting those messages across of how, of how they should do it um, is, is quite difficult, but that comes with the learning. Um, and that, yeah, like I say, that, yeah, that's the learning of, of becoming, a, becoming a coach. Um, so, yeah, messaging and... Just um, patience, patience. So, you know, and I really start to get an understanding of probably why top, top players don't really make top, top coaches because they've got probably got a, like a really kind of low level of patience because they, they can just do it naturally. So whenever well, you're working with young kids... No, 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 no. I, I'm saying I'm not a top player. So th therefore, <laughs> I, can, I can hopefully become a top coach. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've got a little bit more patience because I've probably struggled to pick up those skills myself. But I do, I do, I do, I do get that. I do get that that you know have a better understanding because you need to have patience in coaching. You know, kids, kids, particularly young children, are not going to pick up what you want quick. Some will pick it up straight away. You're fantastic. Cool. Okay, I can move on. But some, are, some need more time. Um, so yeah. that was that's that's that transition in itself to understand understand that you know that patience is needed for them to get those messages across and them to really nail what you're trying to, to get through to them. So. And just just on that, you know, you touched there a little bit earlier about you know thinking about you ending your playing career a little bit too early. Um, you know, it's a conversation we've had with a few a few different people over recent weeks, and that if you've got your mind set on becoming a coach, should you? Well, not stop playing because you want to become a coach, but should you then just not really focus on playing? Or do you think it's actually beneficial to keep on playing while you are coaching for as long as you can in that respect? Yeah, I, I, I honestly believe that you should play the game for as long as you can. Like, that, that's, you know, the game is the game, man. Like, and, and, I, and, and it's one of the regrets that I probably have now is that I feel like I still had a few more years in, in the tank, even though I don't regret kind of the path that I've taken and, and where I've ended up now. It's, you know, I'm very, very proud of, of what I'm doing right now and, and coaching at a good level and getting to work with some really top, top players. Um, the game is the game and I, and I find myself, I find myself missing it. I find myself envious of, of the players that I'm working with because at the end of the day, they're the ones that get to cross that white line. They're the ones that really go and get to experience the game. And, and, that, and that's what it's all about. And I see a lot of, I see a lot of young people. I see a lot of young people at, at, at my club, what, what I work at. I, I look at them, I think, why are you not, why are you not playing? And why are you dedicating yourself to, to this area of the game? So early? you've got so many years to do this in the, in the future. I feel like, I feel like, man, you should you should still be kicking the ball, man, and and enjoying that part, and then therefore your experiences then um, will be greater to bring in to bring into the coaching side, even things like, and it's not necessarily just on pitch stuff; it's the off the pitch stuff as well. The the social side of the game, you know, we talk about, you know, if we were to go into kind of like four corners and we talk about technical, tactical, and all that kind of stuff, well, you know what, the psychological and social side. Come from, come from sometimes a lot of the time in the changing room, the camaraderie between teams, like between uh, teammates and relationships with managers and coaches and things like that. So I just think it's so so important. And I think that if you if you stop playing, it's just my opinion. I think if you stop playing when you have the ability to play, particularly if you're a good player, you play at a good level. I think you should carry on. But then obviously you can still do the coaching on on the side and get your experience there. It's not like you have to do completely one or the other, but it's when like, I see like young 19 year olds, like literally not playing any football and just coaching. And it's almost like, come on, man, like play the game. But yeah, that, that's how, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. It kind of um, feels like, it kind of feels like uh, when you are still playing and you've got like learning your craft and coaching, you, you, uh, not that you can not develop it, but you, you still have that empathy for the players and be able to put the, put yourself in their shoes a lot easier because you're you're still in that playing background. You can still see what they're kind of seeing in certain situations and kind of um, emphasize a bit with um, their decision making at times, even if it 
this does seem wrong, but you can understand why they made the decision they did. Um, I just want to harken back a bit um, to your experience. So, like, you, uh, you started coaching now, and you started um, coaching within schools. Where did it go from, from there? Um, so, yeah, so like I said, uh, I, was, um, I was coaching in a, in a local school in Wensbury um, at the same time. And then I wanted to do my, I had to go and do my UA for B. Uh, sorry, not my UEFA. I'm going, going. I'm getting ahead of myself. Had to go and do my level two. Um, so obviously, as you know, when you do your level two, you need to be coaching at a, at a club, uh, a grassroots club. You know. Um, so I had a friend who was coaching at um, Hellso in town at the time. So got in touch with him and said, "Look, I'm 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 about to start my level two. Um, can I come down and, and do some sessions and, and kind of and and he said, "Yeah, come down." So I did that and then ended up just joining joining them for the rest of and it was the Hellzo in town uh, under 18s uh, in in uh, the Midlands Floodlit League uh, up here in, up here in the Midlands. So it's a it's a good level. It's a good level of football. It's probably the next tier down from being in in an academy. Um, so that was a fantastic ex- experience for me. Uh, with a couple of really, really good, good coaches, um, and it, and it and it turned out it would end up being a title-winning season as well, like which which was brilliant. Uh, and obviously, I was doing that alongside my job. I was still coaching the team at the school that I was working at. Um, but then I decided, you know, as I said, I decided, okay, I think this is something that I really, I really want to do. Um, and for years, um, I always thought about going over to the United States. Um, to do some coaching um, that comes from when I was 18 and 19 I went and did Camp America I'm sure you guys have come across Camp yeah. America and um, I, I just went out of there for a couple of summers wasn't wasn't doing football I was, I was actually coaching tennis which is a, weird um, they, they kind of have a list of, a list of roles that you can do and I was like yeah I'll, I, I, I can hit the ball I'll be the tennis coach <laughs> like you know it's mad but um so I did that. So then I had a friend who had worked for a company called Challenger Sports um, years before. And he'd always recommend it to me. Like he always said, oh, yeah, this is this is really cool, like British coaching company that, that operate over in the United States. You can go over there. And I just thought to myself, like, for me to really get on pitch experience, like of putting cones down every single day and being on the grass every single day, you can't really do that here. Um in in the uk like there's i can't really think of, of anywhere unless you unless you were actually working for a coaching company or you're working in an academy there's no real opportunity to to put down cones so um i at the end of that academic year i think i was around about 26 25 at the time um at the end of the academic year I decided to leave that job and i applied to go to america and the plan was to go there for six months so I went for the summer the summer season and, and that was that was brilliant, man. Like honestly, like wow, the rain's coming down. Um yeah, like I say, I was down there, I was over there, I was putting cones down every single day, working with a range of abilities, boys and girls, um, some really good players, some players that had literally never kicked a ball in their life. But the main thing for me was I was on the grass every day, putting down cones, putting together sessions. And don't get me wrong. All of it wasn't quality, you know, like some of it was a lot of babysitting, 
if I'm being if I'm being honest with you, like you know. But then some of the camps were really good, where I felt like I could really, you know, really explore my coaching. Um, and then if I add up the hours, you know, a camp would be generally between three and six hours a day. So let's say a camp three hours a day, five days. So literally for that week, I'm coaching 15, 15 hours is the most I've ever coached in a week. And I did that for a summer. Um, at the end of that, I ended up, um, they offered me what was called a, 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 CC, a CCT, which is basically um, an opportunity to go, for, go and work with a club. So I ended up in um, a town called Hastings, Michigan. Um, Hastings in Michigan. Uh, and I worked for Hastings FC. Uh, and I worked with them for for their kind of spring season, which was about two and a half months, just working with uh, four of their squads, um, a couple of girls' teams, a couple of boys' teams. So I was getting that experience as well, working those different dynamics. Uh, and I had a I had a brilliant time, brilliant, brilliant time. Won a couple of couple of league titles, which is always always nice. But it was still coaching basics. It was still coaching because a lot of these teams they're being coached by kind of dads. Um, dads that might have played a bit of soccer when there was a when in college or in high school, and then their son or daughter plays for the team, so they decided to decide to pick up the mantle. Um, so going there, just teaching them, teaching the basics. But you know, it was actually for them. It was like that's what they needed. They needed just the basics of of playing a game of football and, and how it looks and how it differs from the sports that they're used to. Like you know, I found that. Um, it's all. I remember the first game, one of the first games we played, and I'm 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 coaching the players to kind of you know if you can't go forwards, we can pass it sideways, we can pass it back, and we can try and retain the ball, retain possession. Mm. And I remember one of the parents shouting, you know, you you go you go in the wrong way, like it's almost in their their mentality is we got to get the ball into the end zone, we got to get the ball into the area where the goal is as quick as possible. And I remember having to have a word with that parent afterwards and saying, look, you know, there's, there's a way we can do this. It doesn't have to be like a, a direct a direct kick into the into the goal area, you know. So just just coaching those basics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for, the, for those six months um, altogether. I came home. Um, and then my mindset kind of went on to um, wanting to, to coach, to go out there full time. But I didn't sorry, Mark, just going to pause you there for a second. Just oh, sorry. It's a bit of a timeline in terms of where are we now in terms of years? What year is this? So this is 2012. Okay. 2012 was the year, the year I went, the first year I went out. Okay. Uh, yeah, so you can continue, man. I just wanted to kind of give you a bit of a timeline. Okay, cool. Yeah, so 2012. So came home. Um, and again, love loved my experience. Uh, well, I wanted to go out full time, but they basically said to me that to go out, I need I need to have a degree because of visa applications and all that kind of stuff. So that was my motivation now to to go back to university. Like I'd always wanted to go back. Like I said, I only I only lasted a year the first time. I wanted to, I wanted to go back to America. Um, so you know, I came home, applied for university. This is like in the December time. So obviously the academic year won't start till September. Got a place back at Worcester University, where whereas I studied um, the first time. Uh, and then ended up going back to the states again. Did the same thing. Went over in went over in the February March this time. Um, my plan, my actual plan, original plan was I deferred my university place to the following September. Um, but while I was out there during the summertime, um, 
it was actually a conversation with my mother and we all know how mothers know mothers know the way they know <laughs> they know the best way and I, I was like stubborn I was like no no I want to stay here for another nine months I want to I want to do another season blah blah and she was like Mark just just come home just just get back get yourself back to university just do it now like why delay any longer um so yeah that's what I did I, I knew she was right I knew she was correct so called the university, cut my contract short in the United States, came home and, and enrolled enrolled at uni. Um, and then obviously came home and, and then kind of things that are happening, where I am now was was very much linked to that decision to come home, um, come home early and, uh, and start and start that process really. Um, what was the degree that you went on to do there? Sorry, just grab my water. Um, so I, I, I originally went, um, I studied the HND because I didn't feel like I was ready to. I've been out of education for like maybe eight years at that point, um, you know, in terms of assignment writing, things like that. So I went in on a, on a higher national diploma, so like a foundation degree. Um, and I did that for two years. Uh, and then, lucky for me, I, I kind of <clears throat> found something that I, re I was really passionate about, something that I enjoyed. And I probably missed that in my, in my education. Um, in, in previous years you know, through school and through the first time I went um, and I did really really well so they allowed me to um, top up to the third year of a sports development and coaching degree um, so normally they would let you flip over after year two and then you do another two years but luckily for me they allowed me to go straight onto my onto the third year of a degree so it was great because I came out of that that experience with H and D and a degree, but I had only done three years worth of study. Brilliant. Yeah, and just uh, in regards, I just want to go back to your American experience because I feel like that's quite—it's quite like an interesting opportunity that they do offer to a lot of British coaches there. And um, like your one sounds like a very uh, positive experience. Well, I've heard some that like they haven't had uh, that much of a positive experience there. Like what? Uh, just for the aid of our listeners, for those that may be potentially interested in, you know, going on such a journey like that, um, what sort of advice would you give to British coaches going abroad and and like dealing with the sort of um, different cultures? Like like you said about you dealing with that American parent that is some um, saying, "Oh, let's get to the end zone as quick as we can." So, sort of what sort of aspect, like what sort of advice would you give for that? Um. <clears throat> I think the, the first bit of advice I'll give is you have to go and embrace, you have to go and embrace the whole, the whole experience. So it's not completely about the coaching. That was my main focus. But I think that uh, a lot of kind of young guys and girls go out there uh, that aren't really, aren't really football coaches. So if you're serious about football coaching, I think it's a great thing to do because like I say, it gives you that opportunity to put cones down every single day and, and coach. Now, if you're not really that interested in the coaching, then yeah, it, it, it can be a great experience. You know, you get to do a little bit of traveling because you're literally moving from town to town each week. You know, you're out there for the 4th of July. You can go and spend it in a, in a big city and do, and do all that stuff. And, that, and that's fantastic. If that's your focus, that's your focus. But if you're serious about the coaching, you've got to go and embrace embrace the whole experience, you know, and and, and go into work with these, these people. And then, like I say, I think that 
understanding that their background in the game, I mean, I think it's getting better now. We all see like MLS now is is becoming like a quite a major sport over there. Their understanding of the game is increasing all the time. You know, players are playing. And I think a lot of that has got to do with, you know, um, their contact sports like American football. Less people, less young people are taking part in American football. That's like proven. And more people are taking taking up soccer now because um, it's a less uh, a less impacted sport in terms of concussion and things like that. Um, but understand that their knowledge base isn't going to be as probably as great as yours. Their experience is not going to be as great as yours. So just just embrace that, but be humble. But be humble with it. I remember going to um, watch the high school. So the local high school team was playing um, Hastings Hastings High School, and they had this. They, they were playing a uh, they were playing a back three. Um, I didn't really understand why they were playing a back three. I think the coach had kind of seen it in a movie or or, or, or he saw he saw Marino play a back three and thought, oh, I'll try that. And like we all know, like to play a back three, that's quite a specialized thing. You can't just wake up one day and say, Yeah, I'm gonna play a back three today, you know, do you know? But he's playing a back three, but the, the, the guy that he had uh, in the center of the three had what they would describe as an awesome leg, right? So you, know, you can imagine that. <laughs> you imagine, okay, he's got an awesome leg, you know, he can, he, can, he, can, he can kick it, man. Like, this kid can kick it 60 yards without an issue. Um, but that's all he did. That's all he did. So he'd get, he'd get on the ball, you know, smash it down the pitch. Crowd would applaud. Yeah, hooting and hollering. But there was, n- but th- there was, n- it was to no benefit. Because all he was doing was literally playing as a quarterback throwing a Hail Mary into the into the far end of the pitch. So but I had a good relationship with, with the coach, a guy called Ben. And um I remember after the after the game, um he invited me over to, to kind of be involved in the team talk and stuff. And he said, oh Mark, have you got anything to say? So I said I so I just spoke about ball retention really again, just just about ball retention. And I spoke to this 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 lad like I said, look, I can see you've got a great right peg. You know, you can do, you, you got a one there, you can do things, you can you can hit it pretty accurately to where he wants it to go. But, you know, we need to, we need to have a bit more ball retention, blah, blah, blah. So I'm, I'm going into kind of this, this with him. They had another game the next, the next day. And I had another conversation with him the next day. And just by him not wanting to use that tool all the time, he just became more effective. Because rather than every time he gets it, bang, bang, bang. It was okay. I'm gonna pass the ball. I'm gonna retain. Sometimes I'm gonna play short five, ten yard passes. I'm gonna keep it. But then, okay, now I see a great opportunity to do that. Go put it into the wide play. Put it into the striker. And they played a harder opponent the next day. It was one of their rivals, and and the performance difference was unbelievable. Now I could sit here and say, yeah, it's all down to me, like my words of wisdom. But I think just though that little tweak in mentality of. I don't need to use, even though I know I'm really good at this, I don't need to use it all the time. It's almost like, it's almost like um, we, we all know that Messi's maybe the best dribbler in the world, but he doesn't dribble every time he gets it. Look at Yaz, like, look at his, yeah, I know I can get you, know, or like, you know, Mbappe's, you know, the, probably the quickest player we've seen over the last how many years, do you know what I mean? But he doesn't sprint every time he gets the ball. It's all about moments to, to use Re- those recognizing when to when and when to apply it exactly absolutely and and i think so that's where i think maybe in my time then we're going back you know like i say this is now 20 this is 2013 
because um, we're going back seven years ago. So a lot of developments happened since then. Yeah. But just just giving them that little bit of kind of my knowledge and my experience really helped them. So my advice to coaches going over there was you can help be humble with it. Don't be like, oh, you don't you don't know what you're doing. Like I'm English, I know exactly. Yeah, you know, we're we're still learning. You know, we're still learning how the games are developing and all that kind of stuff as well. So Mark, you, know, you touched on there about your time in, obviously in the States and you know, the importance of you having, I guess, a large amount of hours on the grass and you know, consistent periods of time. You know, can you just talk to that a little bit, how, you, how much of a ground you think that gave you as a coach? I think it gave me a, a huge ground and it really um, emphasised the effort that's needed uh, in, in all facets of coaching. Um, you know, like, coaching can be seen. Like, I find now... Um, as a as a full time as a full time football coach, you know, I, I feel I almost feel uncomfortable sometimes when people ask me what I do because I say, "Oh, I'm a football coach," and, I, and you know, the look is, "Well, how can you do that for eight hours a day, five days five days a week?" Do you know, what I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but we all know that a part of coaching is is your organisation skills, you know, your ability to plan, and then your ability to to deliver. Uh, and because I was I was doing it at such a, a high rate in terms of the number of hours, um, it it really became it really really became a challenge. So it gave me a real appreciation of, of that side. It also gave me a, an appreciation of, um, like I say, working with the different um, types of kids, levels les, levels of kids um, that that I, I had the pleasure of working with out there. Uh, so going from kind of complete novices. Um, you know, kicking with the toe, can't trap a bag of sand, you know, like to to some pretty half half decent players who were like, okay, I can really I can really get into you here. I can really start to to really stretch stretch you a little bit because I can see that you can can do a bit. So just working with that range, working with that range. And that, I think that's a part of that is a reason now that I have such a uh, an appreciation for coaching within an academy. Because I know that you know these kids can really, really play. Um, but I, and then at times I do like to go back. I do like to go. Like at the minute I'm doing some one-on-one coaching with some grassroots kids that are not anywhere near the level of the co- the boys I'm used to coaching now. Um, but it gives me that that level of, of appreciation. So I think that yeah, coaching out in the states and, and doing all that was was brilliant, brilliant for my kind of my development as, as, as a coach, working with individuals, working with teams. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, just give me, a, give me a really rounded, a really rounded experience uh, of yeah. what I'm experiencing now. And I think just touching on that, you know, because coaches always often, often ask me, you know, what, when, when do I feel like I've developed the most? And I, you know, I always come back to this time about, you know, I think it was about 2016-ish, where... <laughs> In that particular season, I was doing, I was working across maybe four different environments, and I was probably on the grass, probably about twenty to twenty-five hours a week. And that that you know, if there's a single moment in my journey where I feel like I've had the most of it, and that was probably during that season where I think you know, I've actually on the grass, I'm actually doing the work every single day. I'm doing it in different environments. I'm really you know, and it's really challenging, challenging me and stretching me in different ways to say. You know, I might be working with a college group on this day, a university group on that day, an academy group on this day. And sometimes we'll be doing the same sessions, but now looking at like, how do I adapt it for this group and how do I adapt it for that group? And it's just that constant, you know, being in that environment. But, you know, you, you've gone from that environment there, you know, 15 hours a week or so, like you touched on there, working in the States. Now, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd like to assume that that probably wasn't the case when you eventually got back into coaching when you were here. You probably were going back to the grassroots setting initially, maybe maybe working a couple of hours a week. And yeah. now, what do you see the differences in that really for you? Um, so, so I came home. I came home um, to obviously, like I say, start my university um, degree, and I was quite lucky. Like, and uh, I say lucky right place right time right opportunity uh, i saw an advert um for uh, west bromwich albion and they they were running a they were running a kind of um i guess a grassroots program it was called the west bromwich albion colts which basically became their shadow squad for their academy team so it was a recruitment tool that they had built up um that they could um basically pluck these have these, have these groups playing who would mirror the academy program so i applied for it i didn't have sorry my phone my phone keeps going off um i applied for it um i didn't like i didn't have my way for b at the time and, and one of the things they required was was a was a b license so i applied for it anyway i, I, I messaged i emailed the guy the guy guy called tom brady who um was the assistant head of recruitment at the time at West Brom. He actually subsequently went on to be the head of recruitment at Stoke City and then head of of, of um, recruitment at Aston Villa. So this guy, you know, in terms of his own career, um, you know, he's, he's done really well. Assistant Steve Hopcroft, who's a well-known um, head of recruitment at Aston Villa. He's now the head of recruitment at, at, sorry, at West Brom. He's now the head of recruitment at Aston Villa as well. Um... He said, just, he said, just apply, just, just apply for it. See how you get on. Okay, cool. So I wrote the cover letter, blah, blah. Um, he then gets back to me. He says, oh, unfortunately, Mark, um, you know, you haven't been successful this time. We just feel because you haven't got your B license and we've had like A license coaches apply for the same position. Cool. Um, that's, that's fine. And one thing I did in that moment, that I'm really quiet. I look back and I say, yeah, Mark, I'm so happy you did that. Um, and not because I knew I should do it, I just felt I should do it. So I emailed him back and said, okay, Tom, is there anything else I could do? And this is kind of advice I would give to, to anybody in any walk of life, really, but particularly coaches, because um, that's what we're talking about, and that's, that's who's going to be listening to this. Um, I said, uh, I just said to him, is there anything I could do differently, like in my cover letter? You know, I know I, don't, I haven't got the B license, so obviously I've got to try and strive to go and get the B license. Um, and he emailed me back and said a couple of bits and he said like real basic stuff like you know the, the font you used in your cover letter you know that could have been different or um, some because a couple of things I wrote I said thank you so much for the feedback really really appreciate it boom close close that door take on that advice literally about two weeks later I'm at university I'm in a lecture I get a phone call so I leave the lecture which I probably shouldn't have done, but leave the lecture um, to take the call. It's Tom Brady. Hi, Mark. Uh, basically, a position's opened up. I really love the fact that you were so um, open to, to receiving feedback, even though you didn't get the position. I said, oh, yeah, cool. Like, really appreciate it. So a position's come up. I would like, you, like to invite you in. Bam. Head, head's like kind of blown you know i'm thinking wow okay so i kind of i think i left the lecture actually i was so excited i didn't even go back into the lecture i went and got my bags uh and i, and I got in my car and i drove to, that, there was a session that night drove down to west bromwich albion academy and then kind of that's how that's really how this where i am now really really started because now i'm working in in i'm not working in the academy i'm working in what's called the colts 
but it was run like the academy. It was a complete shadow. So literally the sessions that the academy coaches are doing, they're giving us the same sessions. The stand of players I'm working with are good players. So these players have been recruited for this shadow squad. Then they become a recruitment tool for West Brom to pluck and put in. And what's great now is there's actually three players. Um, there's three players in the current uh, West Brom under 23s that I coached as under four, 13s, 14s in the Colts. So it was, it, it's, it's, it was a really, really good tool. Um, so yeah, so that was my first uh, experience. But going back to your question, the, obviously the hours, the hours completely dropped. So I was coaching. I think I think we did two sessions a week, um, and then a game a game on the weekend. Um, so yes, yeah, so that I had to I had to adapt to that. But then again, it, I, I think that probably made me then even more determined to make sure that when I'm delivering my sessions, that they're as as good as they can be because I haven't got that much time. And also I'm trying to I'm trying to impress. I'm try, you know the players are trying to impress coaches to get an opportunity to get a trial in the academy. I'm trying to impress coaches and, and recruitment staff to to get myself into the into the academy as well. Um so that that was a bit a big drop off in hours but a big um step up in quality. Um and I really felt like I've really started to move in the right direction. And then after that I kind of, I kind of um, just tried to get as much experience as I could. So after a while, um, I asked if I could start to shadow the academy um, staff in some sessions and some games at the weekend to see how how that worked. Um, lucky for me, in my second year of uni, we had to do a placement. Um, so West Brom were kind enough to allow me to do my placement there. So once a week on a under 15, 16 school release day. Um, I'd go in and shadow the staff with. with I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't deliver anything, um, and I probably didn't, wouldn't feel comfortable to deliver anything at that point. But just to shadow them, see how they structured their sessions. You know, and you talk about players like when I look back on it now, it's amazing. Like um, Tyler Roberts, who plays for Leeds United now, he was in those sessions. Kane Wilson was um, he? Why? Well, I think he, he might be the youngest player to play for West Brom now, but he was in those sessions. Jonathan Lecco. Um, who's who's people know who I played in the Premier League for West Brom. I think it's at Bristol City now, maybe or something like that. You know, he was in those sessions. So like that, that for me, like look, seeing those players and really kind of got my fuels going. Like this year, man, this is what I want to do. I want to be working with with these boys. Do you know what I mean? Um, but it was a great experience, and, and and just watching those coaches was was brilliant. Like some of those coaches now have really moved on to some great things. Uh, Mike Scott, uh, who was a one. Of, he was head of the youth development phase. Now he's like head of coaching at Derby County now. Um, so even just watching those coaches and watching their development, where they've gone now, I think I was in a really, really good place. And like I say, just just taking advantage of opportunities that, that I had at that time to help myself, mm -hmm. help myself to be person. I think it's, it's interesting you just mentioned that we literally just interviewed Mike Scott on Monday, actually. Oh, okay. Um, telling us yeah. about his journey, actually, you know, and I thought that West Brom at that time was just a fantastic environment to be in with all the coaches and people I had around at the time, you know, the likes of Dan Ashworth, you know, uh, Aaron Danks, and, you know, just to name a couple there. But um, definitely, you know, obviously West Brom seemed to have been doing something like this. You know, you've had your time now at West Brom, you've gone into essentially, you know, the Colts, which is, you know, it sounds like almost a branch of a development center of some sort. Um, where, where did the journey evolve from there then? 
Um, yeah, so got to, I think, halfway. must have been halfway through my second year of uni. Uh, um, like I said, I've just done my, my placement stuff with West Brom. And then, yeah, an opportunity came, came up at Wolves um, to go into there. It was a pre-academy job. A friend of mine um, was working there. Um, he just let me know, oh, yeah, Mark, there's a, there's a pre-academy job. Now, the, the, role at, the role at West Brom, I'd been there for about a year and a half, or approaching a year and a half now, um, was an unpaid, it's just a voluntary role. So we got expenses, which was fine. I remember having a conversation with uh, um, Mark Naylor, who was... Um, he worked his way all the way through. Goalkeeper coach worked his way all the way through the academy. I remember having a really rich conversation with him where he spoke about, you know, to, to get in, Mark, you have to be willing to do this job for free. You have to, you know, you know, I find now I see a lot of coaches or hear a lot of coaches that, you know, they're just chasing the money, chasing the money, chasing the money. It's kind of like, no, that's not what this is about. You have to, you have to show that you're willing to do this for free. Um, and, that, and that's what I did. You know, I worked hard. I was there every, every session, you know, I was shadowing, I was doing things on my own time, spending my own petrol money, things like that, which was fine. You know, I, I actually, I'm saying it now. I wasn't even thinking about it like that at, at the time. You know, it was just, just do, you just do it at the time. But then an opportunity came up, you know, to, to get a paid get a paid role um so i interviewed i interviewed for for wolverhampton wanderers um and yeah i got in they offered they offered me a role uh, in their pre-academy so i came in as as the lead of the the under eights um and those under eights now are under they're going into the under 14 season which is amazing it's crazy how how quick the years go by you see these little these little people and now like they're you know that you can imagine these these boys are big big guys now do you know what I mean? um but yeah came in came in as their their under eight coach uh which is a great experience and what what was what the biggest difference now was i've had to i've gone from Halezo in town where i was coaching under 18s I've gone to America and I've coached loads of different age groups, but nothing like kind of set apart from in those, those little seasons, like the spring season, I was coaching like under thirties girls, under 10 boys. Then I've gone, come out, gone to the Colts. Now I'm coaching under 13s boys. And now I'm going into Wolves and now I'm going to go coach under eights. So now I've got, I've got to change it all again. I've got to, you know, I've got to bring myself kind of to their level. You know, you can't, you can't, you cannot go and coach under eights, the same as you coach under thirteens, the same as you coach under eighteens. We we know it, it doesn't work like that. You know, you've got to maybe be a little bit more playful, you've got to be, get down to their level, sit on the floor with them, whatever whatever's needed um to, to get their engagement. But again, that was a that was a great, a great experience. And then I did that for about six months. So I joined in the January. I did that until the end of the season. Um and uh, I, I feel the club felt that I did a good enough job. Um, I did a, a good job uh, with that group and then they offered me an assistant role within the academies I think I went to under 10s then I was assistant coach for the under 10s within the academy part-time and that was that was still during the and that was like the last year of the last year of, of uni really so this is what 2015 16 this is 2000 and yeah 15 16 2015-16, yeah, because I graduated, because I then I graduated um, 2016, yeah, so 2015-16, um, yeah, and then yeah to to continue to continue that kind of up until now, 
Um, I, towards the end of that year, so that academic, say, call it the, the football season or the academic year, coming towards the end of my degree, I'm doing my, I'm doing my dissertation of, I'm doing my dissertation at the club, which was, again, fantastic. Just taking advantage of, of what you have, I guess. Like, what so I, did my uh, I, did, I did my dissertation because I'd worked in education's always been a kind of an interesting thing, thing for me. Uh, I kind of linked the two. So I did it around um, um, academy players' attitudes towards education. So looking at, you know, is there a high importance in education in, in football clubs from the players' point of view? Um, and if and if there is, why? If there's not, why? Uh, what do you find, what you find is like? Uh, well, you, you've, I found that actually, football clubs probably probably need to do do more to to because you know there's this blank one one size fits all kind of at the time, and it's changing now. But there's this one size fits all kind of B Tech national diploma that they make all the players do when they become under 18s, which isn't doesn't really sit right with me because I think if you've got a boy that's intelligent enough and organised enough to do A-levels, then I think you should go and do A-levels. I don't think you should be just told to go and do this. Because, and then, because at the same time, these boys are told that um, you've got this much chance yeah. of actually becoming a professional footballer. But what we're going to do, we're not going to give you the best opportunity in your education as well. So that, that doesn't matter. Yet. But a lot of... A lot of it is is home as well, like the attitudes at home. So, I inter I interviewed some under 18s players for it, and I had a couple of boys who their parents put a high um, importance on their education. Therefore, they continued to work really hard with their education. Whereas some some of the parents were like, "Well, you, you tried to become a footballer," so the, the kids are like, "Cool, my, my parents aren't bothered." So. So I'm not going to be bothered. So it was just it was just interesting. But then I also interviewed the club as well, um, mm. and, and, spoke and, and got their kind of their kind of view on it. Um, but I think it's getting much without going off off topic. Yeah. It's getting. No, much I think it's important better. that you touch on that because I think uh, you know in one of my previous roles when I was working with the group, uh, group uh, you know, working professional development phase, there's certainly some players coming talented footballers, but they were really hot on their education, and you know they, they, the club almost had to meet them halfway and be like, well. We're gonna, you know, I guess almost tailor the program around you. It's whether they might be training four days a week, um, plus a game. You know, their training schedule looked a bit different. It might be two days a week, or it might be two mornings a week. I mean, just because they wanted to factor in, obviously, still want to do A levels or whatever that might have been. They might be saying, right, we're gonna have two sessions a week with the A's in the squad, then another session or two might be might be just for tailoring purposes, working with the 16s. Um, just to make sure you still get the contact time, you're still able to get in there and get your education like education done as well. Um, but I think I think you're right. You know, there's a lot of these players who are in that environment who've been told, "Yeah, you're gonna, you're not really good." There's not a massive chance that you're actually gonna go on and get through and become a pro. But you're still almost expected to put all the eggs in one basket. And then you know, when you when you don't come out on the other end of it the way you want it to, the clubs are well. There's a lot of clubs anyway that will just say, "Yeah, we're done with you now. Off you go." Yeah, you've done your B Tech. Go and get a job as a, as a personal trainer or whatever that might look like. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think touching on that I think is very important. Yeah, yeah, because you know it is, it is, and I think it was an interesting, it was an interesting study to do, um, and I'm really, I'm really happy I did it. I'm really happy I did it. It's gave me insights, and maybe in the future, who knows? I know you're probably going to ask me the question later on, but 
maybe in the future, like going down the education um, pathway within, within football clubs and um, looking at that could be a thing for me. Not now, I'm, I'm happy doing my football coaching, but maybe maybe down the line. In terms of education, you're talking about more in terms of play, on the player development side or going into coach education itself? <clears throat> the player development side, so, you know, um, kind of, I look at, we've got like a, head of a head of education who links in with, links in with obviously our partner schools and, and, and with our liaison officers that go into the schools and stuff like that. It's really interesting. Something that, it's something that um, is an important part of my role now is, is making sure that the boys are staying on task uh, in their in their school education. Uh, something that I take pride in. I'll, I'll, I'll just do drop-ins. I'll just call the school up and I'll, I'll just do drop-ins in the school to surprise the players and, and make sure that they're doing, doing what they're doing because I think it's so important. Um, get, uh, Jed Ruddy, who is the ex-head um, of the Premier League, um, being in a conference with him, um, I think about two years ago now, and he spoke about, um, he was saying one one study, a study was done, and he basically said that um, if you was to group all the foundation, in academy, in academy football clubs at that time, uh, if you was to group all the foundation phase age groups together and put them in one school, the school would be outstanding in an Ofsted report. If you used to group all the youth development boys, so 12 to 16 in a school, the school would be in special measures. So, and I was like, wow. So that goes to show the level, like, obviously, as you get to 15, 16s now, the dream is now really in sight. So obviously, when you're looking that way, education starts to go in the rear view a little bit. And they start to take the foot off, foot off the gas a bit. And maybe as clubs, we need to do a better job of um, making sure they stay on that task. Uh, and, I know, and I know it is improving. I know it, it really is improving now. But, you know, you read a lot of studies. I remember when I, when I studied for my dissertation, you read a lot kind of attitudes towards education. And a lot of the things you read were like, you know, back in the day, football clubs would be like, you, you need to focus. You need to give this 100%. You need to focus on your football. And actually, really know. Yeah, you can focus on your football, but you can also focus on your education as well. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It's possible to do both. And it's great to hear stories now. Of you hear more and more um, stories of footballers going out and getting getting degrees alongside their. You know what? Our ex captain Danny Barr. I know he was um, studying his degree um, while he was playing captaining our first team. You know, think of things like that. So those are fantastic, fantastic stories. But I think uh, was it Ben Watson up in um, up in Sunderland? And I think he, I think he got a he got like a first class degree. I can't remember what exactly he was studying, but you know, we need to see we need to see more of those stories. I feel so. I think there's a lot of players out there doing it, but it doesn't get it doesn't get the headlines. And I feel like those headlines need to come out more to inspire young budding uh, potential football players. Say okay. I can be a footballer, but I can also get an education, really build my future beyond beyond football. And um, it's a fantastic uh, sort of journey that we've had up to this point here. Um, but you, you touched on it a bit earlier about um, the struggles that uh, you you anticipated facing uh, being a coach that is black. I don't like saying black coach because it's like you're not a sort of special category. You just have to happen to be black and be a coach, sort of thing. So yeah. like. What sort of um, did you anticipate facing, or what did did you face anything particularly in your uh, when you're like applying for roles and stuff like that in the past? Honestly, put, n n um, 
No, and I think the reason the reason for that, particularly at Wolves, I mean, like, first, well, first of all, at West Brom, you know, Tom Brady didn't know what I looked like, so you know, and by my ne- by my name, you know, like I I know that you know we, we're in the we're in the middle of it now, aren't we? Having this conversation, and we know that you know, for you, for example, Ben, I'll use you example. If you sent in a CV and I oh, someone sees your name, they know you're a black guy. In yeah. my in my case, probably probably not. So I didn't really I didn't really face I didn't really face that. And then also when I went to Wolves, um, Wolves environment's amazing, and there's a we've got a great mix of co- coaches there already. We've got like, quite a few black coaches there already. So I didn't really fa- face that. Um, and I, and, I, and I do always say that I've been I've been a beneficiary of kind of these um, initiatives that have been put in place. So I was lucky enough to meet Brendan Batson um, on a on a, a youth mod. Uh, I think it was like a youth mod one. I think it was a youth mod two. And Brendan, legend of, of West Bromwich Albion, like now got well at the time was working for the FA, and he started this um, kind of this BME uh, initiative uh, for. Um, Anyone who want who who wanted to get onto that, like whatever qualification it was, whether it was level two, UEFA B. So yeah, I applied for it because I had had this relationship with him. I applied for it, and managed to get it. So I had help uh, in funding my my UEFA B um, qualification, which was which was which was amazing. And then also um, to, to kind of complete kind of the story in terms of my journey up until now, uh, when I was coming towards the end of my degree. Doing my dissert- after my dissertation, the club approached me and said, "Okay, we've got, we've what's your, what are your plans? What are your plans for when you finish?" And I was like, "Well, I'm gonna have to go and get, a, I'm gonna have to go and get a job because what, coaching a part time Wolves is not gonna financially, um, I'm not gonna have the financial stability that I'm gonna need. So I'm gonna have to do something alongside it." And they said, "Well, an opportunity's come along uh, through the uh, a course called the ECAS, the Elite Coach Apprenticeship Scheme." Mm. Uh, and a part of that is that they have they've opened up six spots for three uh, BME coaches and three female coaches. So the BME female initiative they called it. Um, so I had to inter- I had to interview. I had to go through the I had to go through the whole. Pro- it wasn't given. Uh, I had to go through the whole process. I had to go down to the Premier League offices down in down in London. Uh, I had to present in front of a in front of a, a, a panel of people that my own coaching philosophy. Uh, five, like, I literally had five minutes to present my coaching philosophy, which is just crazy. Yeah. Um, so I managed to do that. Uh, then I had a 45-minute interview in front of this panel, um, and I managed to get on it. And a part of that was it gave me a full-time role at a club that was willing to to have me a guest. So Wolves were already already said that they wanted to ha- wanted to use this initiative. So that gave me my full-time role. And then I had to uh, I was on a course then, so I was on another two-year basically another two-year H&D, but through the, through the Premier League. But I guess the challenges that I faced, and I spoke about this the other day, actually, the challenge that I, I feel like I continually face is just is having to feel like I have to justify the reason why these initiatives are in place. Mm. Because, because and you have to explain, okay, look, you know, there's not enough representation of, of black, black and Asian coaches within the game of, of football that there's really not. So therefore that's been recognized and 
Um, it's been recognised by the FA, by the Premier League, and therefore they're putting these initiatives to try and give people more opportunities. Now, they're not just give, they're not just giving it to me. I've not just knocked on the door and they've said, "Ah, oh, you're a black coach. Let yeah. me give you funding, or let me just give you a job." Like I've done a good I've done a good, a good enough job at Wolves in the previous year and a half that I was there. For Wolves to to trust that actually, you know what, Mark is a, is a coach that. Um, we would trust in our building full time. Um, yeah. Let's take advantage of this opportunity to get him in. The way the way the way it works is is kind of split down the middle between the Premier League and 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 the football club. Football so in terms yeah. of the salary, um, but yeah, and then, and I'm coming to the end of my four. I'm coming to the end of my four years now. Actually, my four years ends in like the next few days. Actually, funny enough, um, so it's a four year contract. And then just just, you know, stop, I'm, just I'm, on I'm that mark. That experience itself, you know, you talk about that, that initiative that Brendan Batson put in place, you know, funnily enough, you know, when I, well, back in 2012, I think it was when the initiative initially launched, um, I'm not sure if you was on that first call, I was actually on the first cohort for the whole initiative, um, and you know, the, the, the battle that I've often faced, yeah, but you've been given a bursary, but actually, well, I still need to be good enough to get through the qualification, uh, and I think that's the bit that goes amiss sometimes, it's like, yeah, even, I mean, you talk about the ECAS initiative, you know, unfortunately, I, you know, I went through that process as well, managed to get to the final stage, but I just couldn't find a club at the end of the day, unfortunately. But in itself, you know, you're right, we, you know, we've touched on it over, we're talking about this in the, in, the, in the midst of everything that's going on right now, especially with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything like that. It's that aspect of just because I've been given this support does not mean I'm not as good or even better than some of the other people who've already been given access to the opportunities. And I think that's the key thing that people need to kind of remember. I think, especially, you know, I'm going to generalize now. This is speaking as ethnic coaches in particular. Yeah. They, and I'm sure, and I'm sure you might have, you you might have faced this before. I know Ben Ben, ben may have too. It's that well, you you've only got to this point because you've got this support. Well, actually, no, the support has just helped me along the journey a little bit, like maybe providing uh, whether it's a financial aspect to it, or whether it's just exposing giving me a platform to be more exposed but I still need to be good enough to get through that process yeah. um, you know but obviously the flip side of that on, on the other is some people might be now looking at this at these initiatives and say well, we, we need to partake in these and we need to tick boxes here you know now you've in this Rooney rule for the, the football league clubs in particular so I think the challenge there you know and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of coaches but certainly from ethnic backgrounds listening to this um, wanting to maybe take away some sort of key insights and hopefully some advice from what they can do on their own journeys. And I think something that you said a few minutes ago is you still had to put in some good work in the year and a half before they actually approached you and said, Mark, would you consider this or is this something you'd be interested in? And yeah, go back even further, it's you've got to be willing to do this for free. And, you know, it's in order to do that, you really need to be passionate about it. So I think it, no matter what avenue you want to go down, if you've got that passion, you've got that dedication to saying, this is what I want to do, this is what I want to achieve, eventually you hope that you know, the right opportunity will come along, as it has for you with, with books, for instance. But also I think within that it's not feeling, as you touched on there, having to justify why these initiatives are in place. Now, yeah. you know, I'm, a, I'm a bit split on some of these initiatives, if I'm honest. I feel like they've got the good intentions behind them, are they actually going to benefit the greater community? Because I feel like, as I've said, 
some people would you look at well you've only got to this stage you've only got this b license or you've got this a license you've got your advanced equal order you've got this ecas because of the initiative not because of anything else so they kind of write you off before you even get an opportunity to demonstrate what you can and can't do exactly exactly and uh <clears throat> you're actually right and i think like you know go back to the to the initial question the challenge the challenge has been you know be all or yeah being put on the spot to kind of like i say um justify it but but like i say without repeating like i feel like i've done enough work i've done enough work up until this point to say you know what mark you you are you are a good enough coach you're just as good if not better than any other coach that would come and apply for the same for the same role and that's what that's why you know walls like I say, it's a fantastic, it's a, it's a great club, great environment. But, you know, we, we, we employ the best people that we potentially can get. Um, and they, they trusted me. They trusted me. It's, it's, it's an investment. It's a, it's a four, it was a four-year investment in, in me as a, as a coach and as a person. And they must have seen something in me. It wasn't just a tick box exercise. Now, there are other initiatives, and I'm with, I'm with you, Yas, in terms of, like, some of them, you can't, kind of like okay is, is that going to benefit like i'm very very split on like the rooney rule the rooney rule in terms of like f at, f at kind of professional level first team level because i feel like um will people treat it how it's intended the intention is brilliant the intention is let's make sure these ethnic coaches are getting an opportunity to walk through the door and at least interview but then it, it's like okay yeah we have to do that all right let's let's just get you know Go blogs through the door. We're interviewing them. We say, you know, what I wonder, just touched on that though, Mark. What I wonder is, you touched on earlier about you know Ben as an example. You look at Ben, you you don't even see who he, what he looks like, but you know you already know what to kind of expect. I wonder now if what would happen if they start saying, well, do you know what? You've got to leave your name off your CV, and then when you get an email, it's just hi sir, just let them know what you're a male or a female or whatever your gender is. Hi sir, you've been invited in based on your CV and nothing else. I wonder what would happen then. That's a great. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a point because the fact of the matter is, people have biases, and, and, and that's what we're learning even more that people have ingrained deep biases. And as soon as they see that name, that, oh, that name's not no, no, that that name's not like mine. That you know, that's not what I'm used to. All right, I'm all, I'm already judging you. I don't even need to read anything else on your CV. I'm I'm already judging you, and and that's that's not right, is it? You know, so that that's I like that idea. Maybe we should run with that. Maybe we should we should <laughs> we should present that to the FA and the Premier League and say, look, names get left off. <laughs> um, you know, definitely touching on the fact that you know that rule. You know, if, imagine if they did change the rule in that in that way, and we, we could just apply for jobs without having to worry about what you know what they're going to think of our name. And you know, as we know, people tend to, I guess, hire and recruit those who maybe they can resonate with, and you know, and considered like themselves in this essence. I think, I guess, one of the questions I would have then, you know, going through some of those challenges, you know, you obviously talk about it, Wolves giving you that chance, but you did also touch on you know, that, that frustration of having to sometimes justify some of these initiatives. You know, can you just talk to that a little bit in terms of how you feel and when you do have to do that and what kind of, you know, in what kind of context you actually have to, have to justify that, you know, people are maybe opposing certain questions to you or yeah so um yeah a couple of times a few times 
I found myself sit, literally sitting in rooms, sitting in rooms with, with people. Um, and it's generally like, I remember at the end of, I think it's the first year of, of my ECAS and, you know, you, you always sit and you have like a debrief, like the, the year's finished, we're going to have a, a little debrief about the year, the pros, the cons, uh, what, 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 you know, they've always split into three areas, kind of what do we do well, what can we do better, uh, what are we going to keep, keep on doing or, or whatever it was. And then one of the questions was around um, the, the initiative. And then I just felt like, even though the question was approached to the room, but it felt like it was it was to to me and and my my, my mate um, Kabina, who's a coach at Ridden, uh, it felt like it, it was directed at us. Um, and then it just had you know just had these other other coaches who, who I like, I get on with, just kind of questioning, using phrases like, yeah, you know, like you know, we got we got to make sure that you know it's it, it, the, they're good enough you know the good like questioning that i'm like no that's what they are that that's what that's what they are. we're not like i said said before we're not sitting here because we just so happen to be coaches who are black they've seen us on the street and said oh do you fancy taking part in the ecast and we're going to pay you x amount per year and going to give you a full-time position at football you know what the craziest thing about it is though mark is that is literally how it comes across I, I, you know, just thinking about your experience there of the ECAS, and I guess there's other coaches having discussion around it, and you're feeling like it's directed at you. I remember quite similarly uh, when I did my A license a few years back, I, it was a similar discussion. You know, there was no, I guess, there was no insight as to whether or how certain, I guess, ethnic coaches on that course got on the course. Um, but obviously, because of all the initiatives that were in place, they were, you know, I think the FA were making a more conscious effort to try and. Uh, allow for some allocated spaces similar to what you've discussed there with the ECAS to be directed towards maybe the VA and there was one particular coach he, he was so I guess convinced by his thoughts in that he didn't believe there was an underrepresentation of, of, of people outside the white community and it was just flabbergasting and it's just like I, mean, you could, I don't know you couldn't, I couldn't believe it but no, sorry to cut you there. It just it just kind of resonated with me in that. Yeah, I hear you. And I like what you said there in terms of like he's so convinced by his own thoughts that he can't see see outside. And all you got all you got to do is look at the game. I mean, America in America they kind of took the lead in terms of going back to like the Rooney Rule and stuff because you've got a, you've got leagues there like the NBA and the the NFL who are literally dominated by on the playing staff, you're talking, you're talking 70% of the playing staff are uh, African-American. Mm. That term? Yeah. And what's interesting as well about that is, you know, we were having a chat with, I think it was, I think it was Chris Ramsey that mentioned it the other day, that you know, the Rooney Rule came into place, obviously, in the States, and within four months it was enforced. Over yeah. here, it's been a discussion, an ongoing discussion, where it took, you know, the best part of maybe five, six years before it finally got enforced. And even then, now it's just, is it just a token, token gesture? Let's get in, let's tip that box, and keep do what we're doing anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but the funny thing is, the funny thing is, uh, on the flip side of the Rooney Rule, is I saw something the other day because like, I follow like NFL, and uh, saying the Rooney Rule came in. I don't know how many years ago, um, but still now in the NFL, 
there's still the same number of black head coaches in the NFL from when the Rooney Rule started. Do you know, back. So is it is it making a difference? Well, off that evidence, pro- probably not. But, you know, it's something that, 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 it's something that they've, they've tried. It's something that they've tried. But yeah, here, that you know, I look at, and it's, it's very similar. Like, don't get me wrong, we haven't got, you know, the Premier League is at 70% black, you know, in terms of the playing staff. But there's a high number of black players. So there's got to be some sort of correlation on, on, the, coach, on the coaching staff as well. And, and we're just not seeing that. And we, we are, we are, it is getting better. It is getting better. But I think we've still got a ways to go because I look at, I look at our club now, you know, we're, you know, we, we, we're getting more and more, more and more young ethnic boys, African boys, Caribbean boys, and, and white boys. And it's a great, we've got a great mix of, I look at our club, I'm so proud now because our playing staff in terms of our academy kids is such a mix and blend. And we've got the same on our staff as well. And I think that's why it, work, why it works. It works so well. Whereas as other clubs, I see a lot of, I'm not, I won't name any clubs, but I see a lot of, um, <laughs> I see a lot of, uh, black boys on the, on their on their playing staff on their playing staff on the, their academy boys but I don't see the same representation on the on their staff and mm. I question I question that I really do question that and say okay are you are you are you best support and it's not saying a black coach can best support a black player that's absolutely not what we're saying but I think by having that ethnic diversity on your staff I think you can support all your boys all your boys better I really I really do I agree. It's like um, you need that. You need that mix, and like it's to help the players as well. Expose them to you know different sort of uh, individuals that will coach them, and like that's that will cater for their development as well. So like, inadvertently, it will be of a benefit of a club to like and mix it up. Like, because at the end of the day, like coaching, coaching is coaching, and uh, each individual coach is going to have their individual influences and stuff like that whereas if you just have a group of coaches that are all from similar backgrounds like you're kind of limiting the scope of what a player can do in that sense that or can see in a game but going back to it you are a coach you're black and not a black coach yeah and you already started to touch on it in um in regards to your ethos uh where you had to do a presentation what were the fundamentals of your coaching philosophy then? what are the fundamentals of it um, so I saw you, you actually sent this, this question to me. So my main kind of fundamentals of, of my coaching is of a transformational coach. Um, because I see, I see a lot, I see a lot of coaches. It's very, it's kind of, tra- it's transactional. It's you're the best player. Therefore, I really, really like you. And um, yeah, nah. That, that that can't be that can't be it you know so me like like i say i, I try to be i strive to be a transformational coach I, I strive to try and affect each and every uh boy that comes into 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 my team or under under my care if you if you want to put it that way um and that's why i say i try and go beyond just my on pitch on pitch coaching i really try and take um i try and take value in learning about about the player about his his family about his background about his schoolwork like how he's how he's getting on at school what he enjoys try and encourage encourage boys to do 
more than just more than just football because you know I really I really understand like the fact is they're playing in an academy so then then the academy becomes kind of the be all and end all of of, of their life almost you know um, but it's no I'm like no nah, no nah, you know go and go and do those other things go and you know you would get a lot of phone calls from parents who are panicking oh little Johnny's been invited to a birthday party on on Saturday um oh, but you know it might mean that he misses half an hour of training do you know what miss the whole training session go to the birthday party do you know what I mean because you know we, we hear it so much about these these young particularly in academies these young players that they get to 18 they get to 19 they get released they don't get their pro then they look back on it and think wow I've dedicated all my childhood to that and I've I've not got anything at the end, and I'm quite conscious. I'm quite conscious of that. So when these opportunities come up for them to do something a little bit different, because we know it's not every week. It might be one week out of every ten, or one week out of every fifteen weeks. It might happen twice a season mm-hmm. where an opportunity comes up for them to go and do something. Go and go and do it. Go and do it. Go and enjoy it. You know, go and be a child. You're not a professional right now. You don't have to dedicate absolutely everything to this. So that's kind of that's kind of like my basis of of my kind of. I hope that answers the question, really. You're probably more going down more of a, a technical, tactical side, maybe. But I feel like as a as a as a baseline, just making sure that I'm supporting all all my players, no matter whether they're the best players in the group or the worst players in the group. And giving them all, all, all an opportunity, all an opportunity, really, and giving them all that same like care, care and attention. That's what I, I think. think. Just on, on that, Mark, you know, I think you know, you touched on it. I think a lot of people do automatically associate philosophy with the technical, tactical side of things. But similar to you, it's, it's, for me, it's much more holistic than that. Um, yeah. Certainly for me, I know if anyone ever asks me what my coaching philosophy is, I say, well, I don't really care how the team plays. I don't really care about all that stuff. I, I genuinely don't. I'm more interested in, you know. I often refer to myself, if anyone asks me a question, I refer to myself as a coach of the why. I want you to be fully aware and I want you to raise your awareness around everything that you're doing and know why you're doing it. So you could have all the skills in the world, all the tricks in the world, you know, ball marshal, you might be out of, this, out of the world, but if you don't know where and when to apply that in a game context, don't mean nothing to me. Exactly. Um, and so, you know, I think certainly to take away from what you're saying, it's definitely a holistic approach in terms of developing the individual as well as the, the player themselves. Um, just, just on that, you know, it'd be interesting to know whether you've had many, many major influences on that philosophy or throughout your journey that you can kind of uh, link back to and, you know, what were some of the key kind of takeaways you've got from that? And it could be a mentor of some sort. Yeah, so my, 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 honestly, my biggest one was uh, I had a teacher I had a teacher back in school, um, Mr. Mr. Aldred. And so basically what, one thing that surprises people about, I guess, about me a little bit, is I actually went to a, I went to a private school, a boarding school when I, when I was young. Um, so I went to this school, went to this school from when I was like four. Um, so it was like a nursery kind of, kind of vibe. Uh, and then when I got to year three, I actually started to, be, I was a boarder. So I stayed there four nights a week or five nights a week. And this teacher, so, okay, first of all, this school was predominantly white, and um, and you know you know when you know as 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 ethnic people you know we always talk about when was the first time you actually you realised you were you were black yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> like that that sort of that sort of, that sort of uh, oh shit I, you know I'm, I'm different pardon my language um, 
I, but this, this guy, this, I look back on it now and, you know, I lived in this, this real blissful, blissful world. This guy took me under, took me under his wing. He was my house, he, he was my house master. So he was basically my, my in-school dad, almost, if you, if you want to put it like that. But then he was my PE teacher. I was, I was a sportsman. So I played in, like I played in the Harry Potter, man. Yeah, really does. <laughs> I uh, I played in um I played in all the sports teams. I played in the football team, the rugby team, the cricket team, the basketball team. I, I was I was really really sporty. Um, but I remember he this this man always uh, made me suffer. And when 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 I got to maybe year five, yes, you know those sorts of age, I started to realise the kind of um, the differences between myself and some of the boys that, that I kind of went to school with, like a lot of these boys were very affluent, you know, come from very affluent backgrounds. I didn't, I just come from a normal, a normal world. I was very lucky to go to the school, but I come from a normal working class, single parent family. Uh, but mom did her, her, did her best for me. Um, like these kids that I went to school with were all going on like these amazing skiing trips and this, that and the other and amazing holidays and summers and stuff like that. And I, and I did my little bit, but nothing in compact, nothing in comparison, but I never felt any different when I was at school. And I look back on that and that was largely down to this particular teacher, this particular he uh, headmaster, uh, housemaster, he was called. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think that's had a major, major influence, and I think it's because of him. When I go back to the start of this kind of this conversation, when I spoke about uh, always having this kind of desire to work with young people, it comes it comes from him. It comes from the way he worked. He worked with me. I didn't I didn't have a father. I didn't have a a male influence in my, apart from my older brother. I have a father figure in my in my life growing up. So he was my my male influence, and he was like a, an older white man who never made me feel any different to any of the other kids that were in his in his care at the, care at the time. Um, so and I, and I really believe that that has now kind of manifested itself into how I am now and with with my players and no matter whether my players are black, white, whatever, whatever, uh, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to help them the best the best that I can. Awesome. You know, and just on that, you know, you touched there briefly about, you know, the, I guess the impact that he's had on your life and, you know, the real passion you've obviously working with young people in particular. Well, just to kind of branch off a little bit further, I mean, what helps you to stay motivated and inspired to keep on being your best within that? Um, the job, I guess, I guess the job, the job never, never stops. It never stops. And, and, and actually the, 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 the journey is such a long one for, for the boys that I want to make sure that I can keep on keep on influencing and keep on helping them to, to reach their reach their goals, reach their dreams. That 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 really does keep me motivated. Um uh, particularly the boys that do come from um less fortunate backgrounds like like myself. Like I wasn't like don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not gonna claim to, you know, be, you know, really poor and, and or anything like that. But you know, things weren't things weren't easy. My mum was raising two boys doing the best that she best that she could um and that's really given me that that grounding to want to stay motivated and help these boys and that's why again I try and go that extra bit so I, you know for example I've got I had one boy this year I won't be coaching him next season but you know he's he was having some issues uh, in school kind of not respecting his teachers not working to to the level that the kind of expect him to so 
man, me and the me and the school doubled up. You know, we went on a we went on a, a full team press, but and and he had to understand that that's how it is. You know, you know, sometimes I think these players think oh, I can get away, if I can I can do this at school. It won't really affect my football, but no, we're going on a full team press. We're going we're going to do it together. Three branches: me, the football club, the school, and your parents. And we're, we're going to come at you and make you under, understand. And it's and it's and it can be harsh at the time, but all done with the, with the, the intentions of we're doing this for you because we want you to make sure you reach your goals. And whether that goal is to be a footballer, that might not happen. The percentage is very very small, but I want you. I want you to be successful in whatever you cho- whatever you choose to do, and and that that's the only motivation I need, really, to be honest with you. It is is uh, I'm motivated for the future. I'm motivated for to see where these boys are. I'm excited to see where these boys are going to be in, in five, six, seven years' time. You know, yeah. even if they're not playing football, that really excites me. Just on that, you touched there. A bit about what's keeping you motivated and you know we talked briefly about you being a coach that's, that is a black man and some of the challenges that you face within that but overall what would you say one of the biggest challenges you faced within your coaching journey you know you might be something that you're dealing with now and you know if, you, if it's something you've dealt with and overcome it you know tell, tell us a bit about how you've overcome it that's it uh, that's a, that's an easy that's an easy one the biggest honestly the biggest challenge uh, and it's got nothing to do with ethnicity or anything like that the biggest biggest challenge is parents is parents of of, of the players and managing and managing expectations um when i first came into the academy i came in with this like naive kind of um happy go lucky i'm going to mix with the parents and i'm I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you everything. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna explain everything. I'm gonna try and you know make sure that you're you're on board because if I got you on board, that's the best. Thing. And it, and it is the best thing. But what I found was I was getting hypothetically, I wasn't really getting slapped in the face, but it felt like I was getting slapped in the face because I'm 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 trying to help your son. There's times there's times where I've got to make really really difficult decisions. I've got to make selection decisions. I've got to, you know, we're going on a we're going on a tournament to Portugal, for example. Um, I've got a group of 22 players. I can only select 12. All right, I've got to make a selection. I've I've preempted this selection's coming. The boys know the selection's coming, but again, you know, I'm having to deal with deal with deal with parents. Um, I'm not treating them fairly, you know, this, that and the other. My opinion differs from their opinion. Parents talking behind my back. And, and slowly but surely over the years, I went, I went the other way where I started to close myself off completely. I was like, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter what I tell you because you, you don't really care anyway. So I went completely the other way. But what I found then was that doesn't help. That doesn't help anyone. It really doesn't help anyone. So... I've had to bring I've had to bring it back now, and I've really, really over the last year and a half, I've really, really worked, really, really worked on that. That's been probably my biggest area of, of development is um, regaining and maintaining those relationships, particularly with with parents. But it, it, it is a challenge because you know I find that parents are parents you know they love their children they want the best for their children and generally i think parents find it difficult to see their child fail but and it's trying to explain to them that actually failure is a part of the journey 
not being able to do something, not being selected for a, for a team, not starting a game, not being selected for a tournament is a part of the journey. But actually, what that does is, is build a resilience. If, they, if the child can come back from that, that's going to build a resilience uh, in them. Um, but even when you give them those messages, some, it's, it's one of those messages where it's almost like, oh, that, that won't happen to my son. It won't happen. And then when it does happen, it's a surprise, even though we've already told you that the potential is it's, it's going to happen. Um, so it's a continuous battle. It's a continuous challenge, but just getting better at, at dealing with it, facing it head on, not hide. Like I'll, before, I'll just hide, hide away. Like, you know, go, you know, just go in the office, close the door. All right, it's done now. You know, game's done. Go home. You know, but actually, not actually having those conversations and, you know, is 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 the better but, way. Even you know, I, th I think just on that, though, I think having those conversations with the parents sometimes can just settle the things. You know, because yeah. sometimes, sometimes if the coach does go missing, you know, how puts he hides away in the office, it, it leaves it leaves those questions sitting there waiting. You know, and eventually, can cause a bit of frustration from the parents. Yeah, because now, now their brain is just manifesting, like the, the, the thought is just manifesting, and now they're getting their information off, off other parents who don't, know the, who don't know the information. And one thing I always say, listen, if it doesn't come from me, if you haven't received the message, if you haven't heard it from my mouth, it's not true. Do you know what I mean? Because they, they, will, they will talk to each other, they will talk and wind, almost like wind each other up. So like you say, you're absolutely right. The best thing is not to hide away. You have to go and face it. You have to go in. Front and and have those and have those difficult conversations. They they, yeah. they are conversations at times, but they they need to be had. And, and I'm getting I'm getting better at that. I'm definitely getting better, oh, got better, much better at that. And just on that, you know, what would you say one of your biggest bugbears are when it comes to coaching? Then, um, big bugbears. Um, I tell you what, a, a, a bugbear of me is. In a, in academy football, I was actually I was actually discussing this with a with a fellow coach yesterday. Is that at, at our club we are very uh, particularly in the younger. And I'm sure all the way through, but you know results um, like winning losing isn't you know that that's like the third like the the last thing really on on our mind. Don't get me wrong, we're competitive people. We like to win, but we know that our focus needs to be around development of our individuals development of our teams and we believe that if we do that in the right way then essentially we'll, we'll win games anyway because we have we have good players um so i feel like one fee bit of feedback we always get from people when they come to wolves is um they always feel like they all it's always complimentary it's always like you know wolves are such a welcoming place they they invited us in you know the coaches interact and then we, we talk so one of my big bugbears when i feel like we don't get that the other the other way um when it's almost becomes like a rivalry like you know we're, we're coaching under 10s here like there's no rivalry here we're we're, we're, we're in this together we're, we're coach developers we're, we're we're developers of people you know let, let's talk let's we could be friendly with one another like you know it's, the game is the game is the game and the game and um you know, and, and so if, if there's a couple of there's a couple of places I've been where I felt like I've gone there, and you know, there's there's no real interaction. It's like the game and name and shame, name and shame, Mark. Nah, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't name and shame because I've got to go to these places again. <laughs> um, but you know, but one club, one club, honestly, and 
it's really funny because I was starting, you know, we spoke. I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan, like that. That's that's the club I've always followed. But I, I would say Man United is one of the best clubs in terms of their academy staff. Unbe- unbelievable, like so open, so welcoming. Um, you, you go to their club, the kids, the, the Man United staff are, are interacting with your boys that you know they're having a laugh and a joke they're talking you go in and have a coffee with them you sit down you chat and and that's um i think i think that's a, i think that's amazing that's amazing um i remember one, one time that you know they came to they came to play us it was the first time it was the first time as a coach i was playing against man united so i'm like oh here we, here we go manchester united you know like one of the biggest clubs, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm excited, you know, I'm like a little kid. So I'm thinking like, what my expectation was that they're going to turn up, um, you know, I'm going to walk into the into the dome where we're playing, they're, they're, they're going to be drilled, they're going to be like, you know, the boys are going to be running in lines and everything's going to be boom, 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 like really. So, I, so I'm thinking I've got to be organised today. So I've got my lads, you know, change rooms ready, you know, get them out, make sure the warrant's set up. We go out onto the pitch, and honestly, what I saw was the Man United coach had the bag of balls on his bag, on his back. Walks in, boys are boys are following him. He just empties the balls on the ground, and the kids just went off, started smack. You know, you know that that real old school. Don't kick, don't smash the balls around. You know, like you'll get an inch. Nah, nah. These kids were just having the time of their life. You know, they got the balls out. And then literally about five minutes before the game started, he got them into a little rondo. That did a little, some passing. And then boom, the game, the game started. He put all the balls back in the bag. He sat on his, sat on his balls. There's me on the side of the pitch. Thinking, okay, here we go. Man United, I'm going to have to really get in and coach. And I'm still a young coach this time in terms of my academy, academy career. And he sat on the bag of balls. And he just sat there. He just sat there for the whole game. And just, and he... He just let the kids play. And I thought, I looked at that and I thought, wow. That, for me, that's a completely different from my, ex, my expectation. And, and I could see the joy. And all, and all he did all game was, well done. Well done, Johnny. Well done, Brad. Well done. Excellent. Try that again. Try it. All right. Don't worry about that. Try it again. Do it next time. Oh, do you know what I mean? And, it, and I thought, wow, that's fantastic. And, that, and I think that's what really foundation phase coaching should should look like in the most part yeah there's going to be times where you need to kind of tell your kids if they're not quite doing things correctly or they need some coaching but generally they should be out there just trying things enjoying things and yeah I thought that I thought that was that was a uh, a real moment for, for me to see that to see such a, a historically great club and the coach just be like go just go and play go and enjoy it you know so that was a really good moment and just on that you know if you now look back to when you first got into coaching you've gone out to Camp America or you've better yet you've done a bit of work in the schools even while you were playing so back to 23 two years ago now right um, <laughs> <laughs> if you had an opportunity to go back and speak to yourself then uh, with knowing what you know now what would, what would one key message be for yourself um Reflect, um, reflect more. Reflect, reflect on what you're doing. I probably, I probably went through a lot of those those years and those sessions. I was doing them, and that was great. But I wasn't really thinking about um, the outcomes. The outcome 
it was like, yeah, I've done the session, I've delivered the session, all right, move on, move on to the next one now. Actually reflects to say, okay, that's, that worked really, really well. That didn't work so well. How would I change it next time? One thing that, that's probably one thing that I, I took off um, my ECAS. ECAS, a lot of it was around um, self-awareness and, and self-reflection. Um, so I would definitely encourage young people on the air, if I could go back and talk to myself, I'd say, Mark, reflect more, think about what you're doing more. How could you be more effective? Rather than just delivering sessions for session's sake and, you know, the hour and a half's done. All right, that's done now. We're moving on to the next one. No, really delve deeper into into um, into what you're doing. And um, if you you've uh, gone on such a nice journey and a very journey um, where you've started started coaching in schools, you've done the grassroots America, uh, Westbourne, which I'll I'll be in now at Wolves. And you already started to touch on it a bit earlier. What is next, Mark McLean? Um, in the, in the immediate, in the immediate for me, um, just complete my uh, advanced youth award, which I should have done already. To be honest with you, I've been I've been a bit a little bit lazy with that, but complete that. That'll be finished soon. Um, and then my then the next step would be my A license. Now, I probably could have done done the A license already, um, but to be honest with you, I. It, it's never it's not been a priority and simply because of the age groups that i've been working with um and i've i've not wanted the the, the uh, temptation i think for coaches that work in the foundation phase age groups is to move up as quickly as possible get to youth development phase get through that get to the prof professional development phase or actually for me and i probably got this on on the way um, from talking to different people is actually becoming an expert in the area that you're working in so i've been really um happy to stay stay where i am i've coached under eights i've coached nines tens elevens um do a little bit with the 12 the 11s and 12s are based base pretty much the same they, they coach they train together and then do a little bit in the youth, in the youth development phase um but i've been happy to try and master and become the best foundation phase coach that that I can be, uh, but I do. But at the same time, I do have ambitions of eventually moving up and getting back to the eleven v eleven game, which I haven't coached the eleven v eleven game. Really, I've done a little bits with my under elevens and twelves, but not on a permanent basis for for a long time now since I was at the Colts. So it's been over five years. So actually, that has actually become uh, out of my comfort. So eleven v eleven now is out of my comfort zone now. It's really, really funny. Like I'm actually more comfortable coaching seven v seven and nine v nine because it's been such a long time. So um, the next step is is the A license. Long term long term, um, like I say, I, I do have a passion for education. I think education is so important uh, in, in young in young people uh, and finding what they want to do. If I look at my own journey, you know, I wasn't I was academically um, on paper strong, like I didn't get great GCSE results, you know, dropped out of uni after a year. But I actually put that down to the fact that I just wasn't doing something that I was passionate about because I went back to uni at 27, graduated at 30 and come out with a first class degree. Um, well, I totally relate to that. When I was 19, 18, I went to uni, left off at first year as well. And I, you know, I find myself 10 years on, I've now gone back to uni and I'm, I'm doing a master's. Uh, Yes. There you go. There you go. And, and really I, I, I went to uni. I couldn't leave. I'm from my African home. 
<laughs> you're staying in, bro. You're staying in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would like to do a master's as well. I've actually, uh, actually, just before the lockdown, actually, I went back up to the university to speak to my tutor, uh, my dissertation tutor, Andy. Uh, and he, he's keen for me to come back and do a sports coaching master's as well. So for me, you know, I was the first male to get a degree in, in my family. Um, so to go on and do a master's now would be kind of, you know, the next level, like would be unbelievable. So those, those are things I'm, I'm thinking about and, and considering, definitely. And then, like I say, maybe going down that, age, that education, education route um, further down the line. Brilliant. You know, just so we start to wind down now, then, Mark, we interested to know, you know, if you had 60 seconds now to package a golden nugget for some of our listeners to kind of take away and hopefully maybe apply in their work. I know you've had some advice throughout this uh, conversation already, but anything in particular that you, what you, you think, right, I've got 60 seconds, here's the golden nugget for you. Um, my, big, my biggest thing, honestly, and, and, and this has come from like my last, uh, my last two years, is I've got to, I think, I think we work in an industry where, um, it's very kind of, it's limited. It's probably very alpha male dominated in terms of like, you know, play, play football and, you know, and, and, and sometimes we can find it difficult to, to be a little bit vulnerable and a little bit like put your hands up and say, I, I don't know. Football's a very, very opinionated, a very opinionated area. Everyone has their own opinions of, playing styles and this, that and the other and the best teams and the best players and how players should play and things like that. But one thing I, I've really um, kind of strived for the last kind of year, two years is I've really, really made myself vulnerable and I've really made myself kind of, I've been happy to put my hands up and say, I don't know, I don't understand and I need, I need help in these areas. Um, so like to go back to what I was talking about with, with the parents, you know, that was a big thing for me. So I sought, I sought help. I sought help through, through the club. I sought help through um, psychologists that we work with to talk about things and, and then to give me training on how I can better deal, better deal with, with these situations. So I think my, my message, my golden nugget would be, don't be afraid to say you don't know, you don't understand, and don't be afraid to go and seek help because at, at the end of the day, that's going to that's gonna make you better in the future. And I feel like, that these things that I've done over the last year or two have, have made me such a better person now, not just, not just a coach, but a better person um, that I'm able to connect to my players better. I feel like I'm building better relationships with my players, parents and families. I'm building better relationships with my colleagues that I'm, that I'm working with and things and things like that. Um, yeah. We need to be more uh, vul yeah, vul vulnerability. It's, it's an uncomfortable area. Um, it's an uncomfortable, but like we always say, you don't, you don't, you don't grow within your comfort zone. You grow outside of your comfort zone. So um, that 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 would be my kind of my golden thing. I think having that ability to be vulnerable and, and putting your hands up and saying, "I don't know, I need help." Whatever that would no, no, I, I think definitely spot on. I think that that self reflection, that piece there, is, is is a massive part to play in any any development that anyone does. Um, I certainly resonate. You know, something you touched there about your earlier years as coach maybe not spend enough time doing that reflection, but now I find myself reflect on everything more. Did, did I speak to him? Did I speak to him correctly? You know, did I, did I intervene at the right time? Could I let it run a little bit longer? You know, or whatever that could be. And I think just asking those questions is, is just key to that, that whole process of development and I guess growing, as you said. Um, but look, 
there you have it, guys. It's been another fantastic discussion again today. Some brilliant insights. Some, you know, plenty of golden nuggets for everyone to take away and apply. Um, I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. And as usual, I've been joined by my co-host, Ben. But a very special thanks to our guest, Mark McLaren. Thank you for being here, Mark. You know, very, very, you know. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy that. Yeah, I really enjoy um, that. Talking football. I love it. Brilliant. And on that note, um, you got anywhere the listeners could get in touch with you if they wanted to? Yeah, so um, uh, my, so I guess through social media. Um, yeah. My social media handles, they're both exactly the same, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, just my name, Mark McLaren, one word. Mark with a C, not a K. Uh, Brilliant. Ben? And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at FocusBXM. Well, there you have it, guys. Another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world, hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.